We're continuing the uh, series that we've been in of looking at uh, sort of highlights or stories from different books from the uh, early part of Scripture, the early history of God's people. And today we're in Numbers with a particularly uh, poignant story. So um, I would encourage you to engage as we uh, read together. This is from Numbers 20. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zen, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and Aaron and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to do this to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink, by the way. Moses and Aaron went into the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Then speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. This is the word of the Lord. Remember the agenda. It's not a hidden one. And this series of sermons, which we'll wrap up next week, is to see that um, every part of God's Word was given because of some deep need on the part of God's people. None of it was given just for information. None of it was given so that you'd feel bad because you don't know it. All of it was given because God is full of mercy and He wants to reveal himself to his people in times of need. 
So what kind of need were God's people facing when the book of Numbers was given to them? If you read the book of Numbers, it, it recounts the story of a, sort of a, a second challenge. God's people had been gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai and told to enter the promised land. And they had their first attempt at doing that, sent spies into the land to spy it out. You know the story, 12 went over, 10 of them came back and said, no way, no how, those people over there will kill us. They're all like Shaquille O'Neal big. And here we are, this puny little slave nation, we're never going over there. And God said, okay, you'll get what you want. You will never go over there. All of you, except for a few faithful, will die as, as you wander the wilderness for 40 years. And then when the next generation comes up, there will be the second chance. So recently I was reading a story about another second chance. Um, it, it's a story about what was known as Black Thursday. Um, happened in October, October 14th, 1943, uh, bombing campaign among the Allies in World War II, deep in the heart of Germany, to destroy some ball-bearing factories, without which it's hard to keep a war machine running. And um, there had been an earlier bombing of this same town called Schweinfurt, and uh, the, the pilots who had flown on that first mission knew how hard it was. They knew how many uh, guns were waiting for them, how many planes were waiting for them when they got there, and how few of their comrades returned. And now they were going a second time. And there was this great fear uh, among the troops. Will there be enough Will we have enough planes this time? Will, will we have enough ammunition? Because they're ready, they're waiting, they know we're coming back. Will there be enough courage for a second attempt at this mission? And because of that question, many of the pilots and gunners in the uh, B-17s that were going on this mission started smuggling extra ammunition on board their planes. Now, ammunition for those kinds of guns ain't light, right? So you got planes that are already loaded to the max with bombs and fuel, and here are soldiers bringing thousands of pounds more of ammunition. Their planes are not even going to get off the ground, or if they do, they're not going to respond to the pilot's commands. You're going to have a lot of crashes before this battle even gets going. Because there's that gnawing fear. Will there be enough? We tried this once and we know how hard it was. And now we're going to do it again and will there be enough? So thankfully, commanders got word of this and they made their way through each plane and convinced the guys to back off some of the extra ammo so they weren't um, risking their lives as they went down the runway. Numbers is written to a people who's kind of in that same boat, right? We, we know we failed at this the first time. And as a result, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And now here we are 
just camped on the other side of the Jordan River, and we're going to try this thing a second time. And we didn't have enough the first time. And what makes us think that we'll have enough this time? It's to people like that that this book is given. And so I've chosen Numbers 20, this one story, to kind of summarize the heartbeat of what God says to his people when we're in that moment of facing a challenge that we already know. We know it because we've been there before and, and we have failed already. And now we've got to go back at it a second time? What's that going to look like? And God says, here's what it's going to look like. There will be enough because I will always be enough. I will always be enough. You weren't enough the first time. But I will be enough for my people always. That's what Numbers 20 is saying to us today. God, when will you be enough? Well, the story starts out telling us that he will be enough when we're in a crisis, right? You, you, you hear about the crisis early on, and it looks like the crisis is there's not enough water. Now, if you live in a desert and the way you uh, provide for your family is through raising livestock, Remember, you're wandering around. You're not raising crops. You're feeding your family with animals and with the milk produced by your goats. <laughs> and if you can't feed them, you and they are going to die. So water is a big issue. And not having enough water is a big crisis. And does God say, well, really, I don't care about that. I'm really only interested in spiritual things. So come back to me when you have a spiritual problem. Figure the water thing out yourself. It's not God's response at all. He's like, I made you to live in a real world. I made you with the kind of bodies that need water. I will be enough when you have a crisis. I will be enough for you. But the people aren't trusting him to be enough, right? They quarrel with Moses. Man, it would have been better for us if we had just died in the desert. If, if we had just been swallowed up by, by Pharaoh's army before we had a chance to get out here, that would have been a swifter, more painless death. If only we could have littered the desert with our bodies. Thanks for your leadership, men. Um, you know, uh, and guess what? We can't grow anything out here. There's no grapes, no figs, no pomegranates. You know why? There's no water. Look at what Moses and Aaron do next. It's really a beautiful picture. They went from the assembly. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do if I'm Moses in that moment. I'm going to stiffen my spine. I'm going to start arguing back with you. I mean, what a courageous thing for him just to walk away. Everybody's grumbling about their leadership, and their first thought isn't defend myself. Their first thought is, we think God will, God will be enough. Let's go ask him to be enough. We've been here before. The people have grumbled against us before. We obviously haven't found a way to fix the problem. We think God can fix it. Let's go talk to him. 
So they do that. They, they go. They, they went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle we would know it as, and they fell face down. Now, to you and me, that sounds like, oh, that's what old-fashioned people did when they prayed. That's what Middle Eastern people did when they approached the presence of a superior to make a request. So this is the language of coming into God's presence to say, we have a need and you must meet it. Will God be enough for us in a moment of crisis? Ask Him. When the crisis hits, ask Him if He will be enough. That's the best possible response. It's such a great thing to see these men leading in that way. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them and said, here's what to do to provide water. Yeah, I want my people to have water. I want to end the crisis. So I'm I'm ready. Thank you for coming to ask me if I will be enough. My answer is yes, I will. I will be enough and then some. And so this should be, you know, kind of this beautiful story of how when the people were grumbling, they had some leaders who stepped into God's presence on their behalf and said, God, would you please be enough to meet the crisis of the moment? The people think they need Egypt and what they need is God. Right? There are times when I think I need health and what I need is growth. Um, I'll tell you what this looks like on on a small scale. Sometimes God teaches us to trust Him on on a small scale. So last Saturday I was out having a fun trail run on a new trail, never been on, hadn't figured out where all the roots and the rocks are yet, wearing my trail running gloves so that I don't get scars on my hands when I inevitably fall. And the good news is, when I fell, I didn't hurt my hands. The bad news is, I hurt everything else. Um, Big bruises on here and here, and the whole right foot is kind of purple. Um, and, And lots of blood. And I bruised my ribs, too, so... There were a couple of nights of sleeplessness, right? And now, I don't think there was some sin going on in my life. God needed to teach me a lesson, so he tripped me to make me fall. But I've learned enough of his ways to understand that that I need those hard crisis moments when circumstances are difficult. I need to learn more of him. So I started praying, Lord... May every time I take a step and feel this pain in my toe, may it remind me how frail I am, how fragile I am. Every time I toss and turn at night and and have a hard time catching my breath because that knife is right there in the... Would that just remind me that, that every breath comes from you? I need you at every moment. You are enough. And I need to know that even more than I need pain-free life. Again, I'm not saying that every time your body hurts, God did it to you to teach you a lesson. I am saying that every time life hurts, 
there is something about him that we can learn from him if we will trust him to be enough for us in that moment. In the small things, that's a small way. Now, big things, big pain. Tricia and I moved to Scotland. Um, We had no income for three years. We lived in the slums. We lived in the we lived on the worst street in the whole city where we were. If someone got murdered, it was on our street or the next one over. Um, it was all we could afford. That was a really hard couple of years. But in that couple of years, what God was teaching us was not that I needed a PhD. He was teaching us we need his mercy and grace. See, I thought I was called to get a Ph.D. so I could tell other people about all of God's grace because they need it. But what God was doing in our lives was teaching us that that his mercy to us has to be a moment-by-moment reality. That I am the most spiritually dangerous person on this planet. I have the capacity to wreak havoc on every life I touch unless he in his mercy changes me and meets me in my need. So whether it's on a small scale, stubbing your toe while you're running, or the big scale, God is always teaching us that he is enough. He was teaching his people that. Forty years of wandering through the wilderness to teach them That when you looked in the land and you saw these giant obstacles you thought you could never overcome, I would have been enough in that moment. You didn't trust me, so I'm going to have to teach you that lesson over and over again in other ways. I will be enough. No matter what the crisis is, I will be enough. And then this glorious picture that Moses and Aaron get it, right? They got it. They knew he would be enough. So they said, let's go ask him. And then God says, hey, Moses, go out and give the people the water they need. And Moses is like, no, (laughs) that's not enough. That's not enough. These are rebel scum. (laughs) Right? If If you work on the Death Star, you have to say it that way. God, thank you for your willingness to be gracious to the people. I'm happy to participate in your plan to give them water. But first, they've got to hear that this is wrong, that they've got to stop the complaining. And God is saying, Moses, I will be enough when it's time for justice. And you trust me. You don't think my 40-year plan of wilderness wandering is enough to get the point across? You think one little speech from you is going to accomplish more than I've been able to do? Trust me. I will be enough. I understand how wrong it is that the people are grumbling. How wrong it is that they didn't ask you to come pray. How wrong it is. I I get it, Moses. I understand holiness. I understand justice. I understand the need for discipline. Punishment. But Moses, this is not the day for that. 
This is the day when I had a beautiful plan for the people to see their leaders pray. And that would be enough. And then the water would come flowing as you speak to the rock. And Moses said, it's not enough. I don't trust God to be enough when it's time to criticize somebody who needs to be put in their place. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm happy for them to get some goodness, but I got to get one more twist of the knife in first. One of the reasons I can understand this is because it's, I've been Moses. I'm not literally. But um, there was a crisis in a church where I was pastoring before. I spent a week praying and fasting and asking other people to pray and fast with me for that week to know exactly what to say to speak to the crisis. And I'm not a writer. I don't write down much when it's time to speak. I wrote down every single word, five pages worth. Absolute confidence. Lord, your spirit is leading me to say these things on this occasion in exactly this way. After a meeting where those things were shared, later someone comes along and says, hey, I'm, I'm really encouraged to see the way that the leadership of this church is is." Trusting God together. And at the moment I heard that, I began to speak. And I knew in my mind, I should not say what I'm about to say. I spent a week praying and fasting over all these other things. And this was not one of the things I was supposed to say. And I stood there and I smiled and I said, you rebel scum. (laughs) Yes, thank you for saying something encouraging about these leaders, but please let me twist the knife one more time and let you know that, yeah, if they're doing well now, it's only because they were doing so poorly last month. You do that talking to your roommate? Thanks for doing the dishes. Be nice if you did them more often. You do that, parenting your children. Sweetie, you handled that right turn wonderfully. <laughs> and that's the preface for here's a list of 39 reasons why you should never have a driver's license. What's going on in those moments? We're not trusting God to be enough when it's time for justice. And Moses and Aaron, having responded so wonderfully before, there is a crisis. The people are running us up one side and down the other. And instead of standing there and arguing about it, we're just going to go pray and fall on our faces and say, Lord, bring the water. And instead of that beauty, what they get is one more twist of the knife. Let me hit the rock with my stick and show you what anger looks like. And and then look at how God responds. Do Do you see what he did? Right? The people fail when it's time to go into the land. Oh, there's giants over there. We're scared. And then they come to this moment in Kadesh and they say, there's not enough water. Ah, they fail again. 
And then Moses and Aaron seem to get it right. And then they blow it. So we got this string of blew it, blew it, blowing it. And God says, let's have a water party. You're all invited. What's up with that? How can that be? How can that happen? How can God say to these people who have this track record of saying, we don't trust you to be enough to take us into the land. We don't trust you to be enough when we need water in the desert. We don't trust you to be enough when it's time to show justice to sinners. And to people who never trust him to be enough, God says, let me show you what it means that I am more than enough. And water came gushing forth out of the rock. And who drank? What does the text say? All the Israelites and all their livestock. The camels were drinking. The goats were drinking. The sheep were drinking. The people were drinking. The babies were drinking. Everybody is drinking. It's a water party because God is saying, I will be enough when you are not enough. What does Moses and, and Aaron also, what, what do they get criticized for? You did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy. And then the story ends this way. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord. And where he showed himself holy among them. The version of the text that we printed in the worship guide reads a little differently. He was shown to be holy. This is another way to translate that phrase. He showed himself to be holy. When you don't show me to be holy, I will show myself to be holy. When you don't believe that I am enough, I will show you that I am enough. When you don't think that I'm taking care of justice, I will show you what it means for me to take care of justice. When you don't think that I care about your needs, I will show you how much I care about your needs. When you don't think there's enough goodness and grace and kindness to go around, I will show you that my grace is enough. A God who can show himself to be gracious enough to love rebels who blow it, blow it, blow it again and again. How can he do that? 1 Corinthians 10 talks about this story and Paul just makes a brief comment. He says, they drank from the rock and the rock was Christ. They drank from the rock, and the rock was Christ. Jesus is the explanation for why God can be enough for a people who don't trust him to be enough. For a people who grumble and complain. For a people whose leaders don't trust him to be enough. He can still be enough. Why? Because one day his son is coming and has come. To show us what enough justice looks like. To show us what enough grace looks like.
Trust him to be enough for you, for your household, for your family. Trust him to be enough. And trust him to be enough for us. Trust him to be enough for us as a body, a community of faith. Are we always going to get it right? No. Nope. We're going to be smuggling, smuggling bullets on the plane all the time because we don't think he's enough. And he's going to have to discipline us, <laughs> take the bullets back off the plane. I'll be enough. I'll be enough. In 1 Corinthians 10, when Paul says that Jesus was the rock, he says it in the context of talking about the Lord's Supper. And he's saying, those people ate the same spiritual food that we eat when we take the Lord's Supper. Those people drank the same spiritual drink that we drink when we have the wine of the Lord's Supper. How can that be, Paul? The Israelites lived you know, over a thousand years before Jesus. How could they be eating and drinking the same stuff we are? Well, you see Paul's point, right? The same Savior whose mercy gives us access to God's goodness. It's his work that gave them access to God's goodness. Every time God has been kind to a human being, Every time, without exception, God has shown kindness to a human being. It's only because of Jesus. It's because Jesus is the human being who got it right. Because Jesus trusted God to be enough, God made water flow from a rock. In the desert. Because Jesus trusted God enough. God makes mercy flow to you and to me. Every day. 